Hallelujah. Well, why don't you stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're gonna, we've got a theme verse for the year, for the series that we're in right now called Better Together. And it's out of Ephesians chapter 2. Would you bring that up on the screen there? And we're building a tradition in this house. I want you to read this with me together. This is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Can everybody, can you read that there in the back? Uh, If not, just open it in your Bible. And uh, at the count of three, let's all read this in unison together. One, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Wow. Now, I want you to take, if you've got your Bible open, go back to chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. By the end of our series, we're going to have worked through the entire book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. And this is what it says, the New King James. You don't have to read it out loud, but it says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Oh, my goodness. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Yeah, he's a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's hand on this message. Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, I just ask that even now you would just release your Holy Spirit, God, to speak and inspire truth in our lives. I, I pray that an anointing would rest upon me, that under the unction of your Holy Spirit, God, I would speak with authority as I ought to, God. Let nothing of, of my imagination or my wisdom come forward, but Lord, that which is birthed by your Spirit be released today. And God, I ask for an anointing upon each and every person within the sound of my voice, those who are in this room, those who are joining us online, anoint our eyes and our ears and our mind to receive all that you would desire to speak to us today. God, I pray you'd give us great liberty. I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract or distort, twist or confuse the word of God as it comes forward, give us freedom in receiving your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, amen, amen. You may be seated. Our series is Better Together, and you'll see that on the screen there. You'll notice we've got three different stick figures there, right? We've got a guy who's sitting down. We've got a guy who's standing. We've got a guy who's walking, and you know, the reason that's there is the, the book of Ephesians is actually broken down into three sections, and as you read, as you study Ephesians, and I encourage you to, you'll notice that the first section is really dealing with identity, being 
seated with Christ, to be seated in him, in Christ. In fact, as you, as you read through uh, the, the, the passage, just look for all the times where it says seated with him. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are seated in authority above all principality and power of an authority of the world. Uh, look also for these moments where it says in him. In fact, I think we had three of them just in the single verses that we shared this morning. In him we have an inheritance. In him we have been redeemed. In him, over and over. That's all about being seated with Christ. Now, eventually, we're going to move into another section where it talks about how we are walking with Christ and that's really where we're going to get into how do we, how do we live our life? Uh, how are we to walk in the world and be a witness, be light in darkness? Uh, evangelism. I know that word scares some people, but uh, I'm an evangelist. We're going to go after souls, hallelujah. And guess what? We're going to do it together. So you think, Pastor, that's really scary. I don't want to preach on a street corner. I don't want to knock on a stranger's door. So we'll go together. We'll go together. We'll do some of that stuff. We'll do some outreaches. And uh, I believe we need to be a witness in this world. And then the last part, stand. I I like our little stick figure that we've got there. uh, Because you'll notice I'm not just talking about standing around. Great, now we're saved and we know we have an inheritance in the Lord. And now we walk and we're a good witness. Now we can just stand around and hang out. No, that's not what it's talking about. That stand, you'll notice he's got a shield. He's got a sword. This is really dealing with the idea of warfare, to stand in the evil day, to withstand the wiles and the attacks of the devil. And so the third phase of our series, we're really going to move into um, uh, a mode of spiritual warfare, and that's just going to be a lot of fun. But what I want to point out, if if you'll stay there in Ephesians chapter 1, you'll notice that Paul talks a lot about the will of God. Everybody say the will of God. Okay, that was like half of the room. Everybody say, the will of God. There we go. How many of you would like to know you're in the center of God's will? Okay. All right, like five of you. That's great. Um, Okay, anybody else? You're writing it down, so that's fine. Uh, But uh, I I won't be mean to you. Hallelujah. Sometimes I, never mind. I get this this fiery prophet thing on the inside of me. I'm going to be nice, okay? But Paul, he talks a lot about the the will of God. In in verse 1, he talks about how he was an apostle by the will of God. In verse 5, he talked about how we were predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus according to the good pleasure of his will. In verse 9, he said he's made known to us the mystery of his will. In verse 11, we just read it a moment ago, predestined according to to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, I know that word predestination might freak some of you out, and I'm not going to go into the depths of that. I talked about it a little bit last week, uh, two weeks ago. But here's what I want you to know. In love, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, he says, in love he predestined. Now, you can dissect predestination and all that comes with that, uh, you know, a lot of different ways. But here's what I want you to know. Predestination is a doctrine of love according to the scripture. And what I want each and every one of you to understand, God's plan for your life is a good one. God's plan for your life is good. And it says he has a will and he is working out his will. This really ought to encourage us. Because 
You know, I asked you a moment ago, how many of you want to see God's will accomplished in your life? And most of us raised our hand. But here's what I want you to understand. As much as you want the will of God to be accomplished in your life, did you know that God wants it even more? And the Bible makes it clear that he himself is working in you and on your behalf to see his will for your life accomplished. That's a big deal. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you can look at your life and you say, God's done some stuff in my life. God has worked on my behalf. God has been active. God has been gracious. God has provided. God has healed. God has I mean, we can all hopefully say, God, I see how he's worked in my life. Guess what? If God has begun working in your life, he's going to continue working in your life. Until the day that we see Jesus Christ return, he's still working in you and for you to accomplish his will. In chapter 2 of Philippians, now this is an awesome verse. This is like one of my life verses right here. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, the phrasing of that is, is, is a little strange. It is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2.13. Now, let me, let me just explain to you what that means in as simple terms as I can make it. As God works in your life, I better go back on stage because I see people disappear behind my pillar, okay? I just like to be close to you. Um, as God works in your life, you'll notice that he does two things primarily. First of all, he literally begins to put on the inside of us a desire to do his will. How, how many of you notice this? As you begin to pursue the Lord, all of a sudden your passions and your desires just begin to shift. You know, the pursuits, uh, uh, you know, I've been teaching my son how to play guitar. And uh, it's wonderful. He's catching on very quickly. Uh, you know, and I, there was a time in my life where all I wanted to do was be a rock star, man. I'd play, you know, in my basement, and I'm playing my hard rock music, and boy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a rock star. And that's all I wanted to be. But when God got a hold of my life, not that I don't love music still, because I do, and I still play, and I still teach, uh, but all of a sudden, my passions and my desires began to shift, and it's like, God, I, I want to do something that will honor you, and so no longer is my desire to be some kind of rock celebrity or anything, no, now I live to make Jesus known, and I live to make him famous, and, uh, you know, and, and music can be used for those means as well, I don't want to put that down. But I know that God has a different plan for my life than what the enemy had for my life. And it's a joy to be able to serve the Lord because as I pursue him, he puts his will and a desire to do his will on the inside of me and on the inside of you. That's what it says. It's God who works in you to will. But then watch this. It also says, and to do for his good pleasure. So here's, here's what I want you to understand. Not only does God put in you his will, but he also puts in you the to do his will. I, I know that's not proper English, but that's just how it says. He puts in you the to do. He gives you the ability he gives you the resources. He gives you the wisdom. He gives you the understanding to do what his will for your life is. Are you guys checking with me? I see some of you nodding your head, but uh, I just want you to understand. God 
will always ask you to do things that are bigger than yourself. He's going to ask you to do things that will freak you out. I have no idea. I can't do that, God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I don't have the education. I don't have the right skin color. I don't have the right background. I didn't grow up in the right home to do that. God will always ask you to do those kinds of things. You want to know why? Because if you have the ability to do everything within God's heart, within yourself, you get all the glory. But if God asks you to do things that are impossible for you to do of your own will, of your own provision, of your own power, then guess what? When it is accomplished, He gets all the glory. It's huge. It's a big deal. And so God is going to work in you His will, and He's going to give you the to-do His will. He's going to give you the ability to do it. Now, I'm going to help you today. Uh, because there's, there's a couple things that are mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. You just stay open there in your Bible if you're not already. We are, if you're taking notes, this is my first point. I've got three for you today. Number one, we are seated in Christ's inheritance. I know I probably could have had some, you know, cool hipster you know, phraseology for this, but I just, I want you to understand it. There's going to be a time, might be five years from now, you're looking back on some Ephesians notes and what in the world is this talking about? I want you to understand. We are seated in Christ's inheritance. Uh, Now look at verse 11. It says, in him, in Christ, that's seated. Everybody say sit. Okay, we're, we're going to sit with Jesus. That's where our authority comes from. Some of you, you know, like, oh, I want to I wanna fight, right? I want to teach us the spiritual warfare stuff, Pastor. Uh, listen, you got to learn how to sit with Jesus before you go fight with Jesus, okay? And some of you, some of you, you have a desire. I want to see the sick healed. I, I want to cast out devils. I want to do that kind of stuff. That's wonderful. I want that too, and I want that for you. The reason many of us have maybe prayed and failed to see healing take place, or maybe you've tried to take authority over over a demonic power and you've not been effective in seeing that, uh, whatever realm of authority or power you're looking at, I'm telling you, it all comes down to sit. Who are we seated with? Are we in Christ Jesus? And so here's here's what we're going to learn today. We're seated in his inheritance. Now, one thing that I want you to be very mindful of, when I talk about inheritance, some of you immediately think about heaven. And that's not a necessarily a wrong idea. Yes, we get to inherit heaven one day, Hallelujah, we're all going to heaven. Is anybody thankful for that? Say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven one day. But what I do not want to ignore is the fact that God has things today for us to lay hold of. There's a story in John chapter 11. I use this as an illustration very often because it was so profound when I saw it in Scripture. There was a moment where Lazarus died, and we all know that story ends well. But Jesus goes to minister to Lazarus, and as as he's approaching the, the home, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, meet Jesus, and they say, Jesus, if only you would have shown up yesterday, Lazarus would have been healed. If only you would have shown up, it was actually four days. If you would have shown up a couple days earlier, God, I Jesus, I know you have the power to heal sick people. 
She was not yet convinced that maybe Jesus had power over dead people as well as sick people. And Jesus, she, so she had faith for yesterday. Everybody say yesterday. And we all, we all think that too. Like, sure, yeah, yeah, I know the Bible. Sure, God did that for Moses. Oh, yeah, of course Jesus had that in the synagogue. Yeah, that was, that was back then with Jesus. Uh, today faith is a little harder than yesterday faith. Because it's already happened. Sure, I, I believe that God did that at Azusa Street. Oh, yeah, I believe that revival happened. Oh, sure, I believe in the tent revivals. We have faith for yesterday. That's easy for us. And you watch Jesus. If you read the story in John 11, he tells her, he says, listen, if you would believe me, you will see Lazarus raised from the dead. You know where the response was? Oh, Lord, I know that one day in the resurrection we'll see, we'll see our, all of our loved ones will be raised up in that day. She had faith for tomorrow. And again, we have faith for that. We have faith that says, oh, yeah, one day we're going to go to heaven and it's all going to get better. Then the pain is going to be gone from my body. Then the torment in my mind is going to be over. Oh, then when we get to heaven, oh, it's going to be wonderful. Then we'll walk on streets of gold and I'll never have another need in my life. That's true. But we need to get beyond because Jesus corrected her. He says, no, if you would receive it today, today you will see Lazarus raised up. You know that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So yes, God did used to work miracles. And yes, one day we will step into a glorious inheritance, the fullness of all that God has for us. But today there are benefits to walking with the Lord. Oh, I want you to get this, church. I want you to get this because if we grab a hold of this idea of heavenly inheritance, not just one day, not just yesterday, but today, right now, oh, it's going to change the way we live. It's going to change the way we pray. You know, I, I remember the challenge early in my walk with God. I'd have people call me. I'll never forget. Had somebody call me and... Uh, um, there's a woman and, and her husband, they were in our church, and the woman's father was sick to the point of, you know, really on the brink of death. And so they called me. I went to go visit them in their home, and here's the sick husband, and here's the, his wife who was off on the side. And they asked me to pray. And I don't know how you pray when you're looking at somebody who's on their deathbed, but I remember I felt this prompting of the Spirit. Now, I can pray two ways right now. I can either pray, God, give him comfort until you take him home. Or am I going to have now faith, not one day, yeah, when he steps into heaven. He'll receive his perfect healing. I've heard people say that. And true, he won't be sick when he gets into heaven. But there was this pressure. There was this conviction in my heart. Am I going to believe God right now for a miracle? And I'm telling you, time and time and time again. In fact, I saw this really cool, this really cool picture. There was a there was a woman, another woman that I went to pray for, and uh, you know, now this was what time is it? Oh, I got time for this. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a cool story. Okay, so I grew up, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Church that didn't believe for miracles. Church that didn't believe in the power of God. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd see some stuff every once in a while. They'd have a missionary come in. And, you know, I'd get glimpses of this presence. Well, 
You know, I went down the track of drug addiction. I was, I was horribly bound by sin, and, and God did a great work in my life. And so I get saved. I get radically raised up. I get powerfully delivered, and I end up at Christ for the Nations. This is a church that was, or this is a school that was born in the charismatic revivals. And, uh, you know, I'm hanging around guys like Steve Hill, Pentecostal revivalists, you know. And so, so this stuff gets into my heart, man. So I go back to my Southern Baptist church, and, and me and my ignorance, I just think, well, they don't pray for sick people because they just never, they never do. And uh, I found out later that wasn't true. You know, I tried casting out devils. In fact, <laughs> we, uh, we did, man. We had, we had a, a young boy manifest demons in one of the prayer meetings. I took authority over that thing. We saw the devil broke off of that. There was a good spirit-filled couple that was part of that prayer ministry, and uh, we broke the devil off of that boy. And within a week, the pastor called me into the office and says, we don't do that in our church. I was grieved. And so I, I you know, I was, I was trying, man. That was the church that I'd grown up in. I, I loved the people of that house, but they had no place for the Holy Spirit. So I love them. I pray for them. They're still friends today. But here's what's wild. So I finish out Bible school, and I end up pastoring a church. It's about 45 minutes away from that church that I grew up in. And there was a moment where the secretary of that Southern Baptist church became deathly ill. She's in the hospital in Springfield. We've got some friends from Springfield. She was in the hospital in Springfield. And you know what? You as a spirit-filled believer may be the odd one, okay? Well, why don't you just be more conservative? Why you got to pray in tongues like that? Why are you always talking about devils and sin and all that? You're going to get looked at cross-eyed sometimes. But when somebody needs a miracle, guess who they call? They end up calling me, and I'll never forget, man, I, I get in the car, and the spirit of faith came over me, and I'm just like, I'm praying in tongues. Remember, my wife calls me as I'm, as I'm driving up to the, to the hospital. It's about an hour and a half from where we lived, and, uh, and I, I'm just praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm getting all fired up, and uh, I'm just, I'm ready to go. And so I get up there to the hospital, and... Uh, <laughs> If you remember, there was a moment Jesus cast uh, or raised this young girl from the dead. And the thing that he did, the people began mocking him when he said, no, she's going to live again. And so you remember what he did in that moment? He said, all of you who don't believe, get out. Took Peter, James, and John with him. He didn't want unbelief in there. So you know what I did? When I got into that hospital room, all the family was gathered around. I said, listen, if you don't believe that God can raise her up today, you can leave. And I really said it like that. Now, I wasn't their pastor. You know, I'm the, I'm the crazy Pentecostal guy that they called on to pray. And so that's fine. And so I didn't mind if, you know, I'll hurt your feelings, but I want to see a miracle happen here. And so this woman, I mean, she, they still don't know everything that had gone. Some immunity, something crazy had gone on in her body. I mean, she ended up, uh, you know, they were, they were cutting off parts of her body as this sickness was progressing in her. And, uh, and I remember I go in there, and it was, a, it was a grim situation. But I stood there, and again, I had that, that moment. Am I going to pray, Lord, comfort her and take her home? Or am I going to contend for a miracle right now? Lord, raise her up. Heal her body. Restore her. I chose in that moment to get out the unbelief. If you're not with me in this. And we began to pray. And we began to call down the heavens. Did you know, within two weeks, that woman of God had been raised up from that bed. 
and was released from the hospital in total and complete health. She was supposed to die. Hospice care had already been there. And the reason that I remembered this is because she uh, just yesterday or maybe the day before, she had shown she had been fitted for prosthetics. And God uh, had allowed her to be able to get, I mean, just these, these wonderful looking feet. Her toes had been lost because of all of this, and she was having a, she made a joke about how she was having a manicure done, and she was getting her, uh, a pedicure, yeah, pedicure done, getting her, her toes all did up, but I praise God. I praise God. She got raised up. She got raised up. She was healed. She, she's alive today. And, and the challenge is always going to come into our hearts. Yes, we can pray comfort until they take them home. Or when are we going to begin to lay hold? God, today you work miracles. You didn't just do that in tent revivals. You didn't just do that through Smith Wigglesworth. No, today, God, you can work miracles. Today we can lay hold of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Now I'm going to have to go fast because I shared with you that story. So, but this is inheritance is for today. Now I love 1 Corinthians 3, 22. You know, the Bible says whether Paul or Apollo, uh, Apollos or Cephas or the, wor- uh, the world or death or life, things present, things to come, they are yours. All are in Christ and Christ is God. I know I didn't share that uh, real clearly, but what he's saying is whether it's in life or in death or now, whether it's things present or things in the future, all things are yours in Christ who belongs to God. We have promises, yes, for tomorrow. Guys, heaven's going to be glorious. I don't want to diminish that. Yeah, you're never going to have body pain. Sometimes I wake up and my neck and my back hurts too, right? I go roller skating and I fall down and my knee hurts for a week now. I don't understand how that happens, you know, but praise God, one day that's all going to go away. But God has promises for us today. I've already hammered that into you. Peter said it this way. His divine power, uh, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which has been given to us exceeding and great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Oh my goodness, did you know that because we are seated in Christ, we, can be, we are partakers of all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us exceeding great and precious promises that we can partake of today, right now. Romans 8, 16. I'm just laying for you. I'm not just like, well, this guy's just a little excited. No, I'm just showing you. It's in the Bible, okay? The Spirit in himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Oh, my goodness. That's a big deal right there. That verse right there tells me you can never make the excuse Well, of course, Jesus saw miracles because he's Jesus. I'm just me. Well, guess what? If you are seated in Christ, if you are a born-again believer, if you have an understanding of the incredible inheritance that you and I have, then guess what? You are an heir to the very same things that Jesus had when he was on the earth. 
You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ on the earth. That means if Jesus had access to it 2,000 years ago, you and I have access to it today, right now. Love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, you know, one of these days, somebody's going to pick up the Bible and simply believe it, and then we're all going to be embarrassed. Why? If we understood what the Bible has declared over us, oh my goodness. You you guys, miracles are going to become commonplace if we would understand the inheritance that we have because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now this is very important, okay? Verse 12, here's a warning. It's very important for you to understand this. All for the praise of his glory. Why is that important? Because this is what's going to start happening. You're going to understand who you are seated in. I'm seated in Christ Jesus. I have an inheritance. I'm an heir, and I am a co-heir with him. And when you begin to grasp that, when you begin to pray and meditate, and that thing begins to get in your heart and in your spirit, crazy stuff is going to start happening. Crazy stuff is going to start happening. You're going to get that house that you haven't been able to get for a long time. God's going to open up doors. And how are you living in a house like that? Well, you know, I'm so brilliant. And uh, I really know how to work my credit score and my budget. And, uh, and I've worked really hard. And, you know, it's just, wow. You're going to pray for somebody, and they're going to get healed. Right? I mean, we could be in a time like we had earlier in this service where, where the pastor gets up and says, hey, pray for your neighbor right now. You lay hands on them. They've had something they've been dealing with for years, and in one instant, that thing goes. And they say, wow, you've got a great anointing on your life. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm very anointed. Uh, if my shadow touches you, you will be healed. Want a handkerchief? You know, it's a... For, it's Acts 19, by the way. You're going to have stuff like that begin to happen. You need to remember, it is to the praise of his glory. God doesn't share his glory with people. And if somebody starts bragging on how wonderful and how anointed and how powerful and how skilled you are, you better be quick to say, God has been good to me. Man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm, I'm a worm, man. I don't, I don't deserve anything that I've done. I'm a drug addict that got saved by grace, but God has been good to me. The reason we're in this building, the reason our church is growing, the reason bodies get healed is not because I'm so wonderful. It's because he is amazing. God is a good God to the praise of his glory. Oh, my goodness. Always remember that. You grasp inheritance. Pride is going to be able to creep into your heart real easy. That's why the Bible says humble yourself. Let me give you, a, let me give you a, just a, a key. Did you know the Bible never talks about a spirit of pride? It never does. And I'm big on spiritual warfare. I've done teachings on all the named spirits in the Bible. The spirit of pride is not one of them. And there's a lot of people that, you know, they're trying to break this spirit of pride off of their life. Or they'll pray, don't ever pray this. Let me just warn you. God, humble me. Don't do that. You're literally asking God to judge you. You don't want that. The Bible says in the book of James, humble yourself 
in the sight of the Lord. You're trying to break a spirit. It's not a spirit thing. It's a flesh thing. You know, you need to cast out your pride. No, you need to humble yourself. You need to, you, you need to swallow your pride. Get that thing out of you. You need to humble yourself. The Bible says that God uh, resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves. Stay humble. Hallelujah. Number two. Now, these other points will go a lot faster. I'll, I'm going to get you out on time, okay? Number two. How, so you might wonder, how do I receive the inheritance? Pastor, this is all wonderful. This is great. How do I receive it? I'm going to tell you how you receive it. There's two things you got to do. Number one, well, or this is number two, I guess. Number one is the inheritance in Christ, right? Number two, hear and trust the gospel. This is not complex. There's not some secret key to authority in Christ. No, it's very simple. And here's the very first thing that you and I need to do. If we're going to receive, if we're going to walk in, if we're going to be seated in Christ, you must hear and trust the gospel. That's exactly what it says in our text today. Verse 13, in him, that's Christ, you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Oh my goodness, when in him you trusted that which you heard, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Church, I'm telling you, there is a desperate need for truth in the world today. Amos prophesied about a time that there would be a famine in the world. But it wasn't a famine dealing with food or water. He said there would be a famine of the truth. There would be a famine of the word of God. And I'm telling you, I believe that we see that all around us right now. Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy there would be a day where people would not tolerate truth. They would not endure sound doctrine. And you'll notice, I mean, we're watching this happen right now. Who would have thought that even in our nation, churches are shut down because they speak a certain way? Who would have thought that, you know, they, they, they came out with this policy. It was, it was released through Instagram, but Facebook owns this. They said that now, if you make statements about morality, it can be counted as hate speech. And we're watching individuals having their channels shut down, having their live streams shut down. And, you know, that may happen to us because here, the fact of the matter is, I don't care if you call it judgmental or I'm talking about morality or I'm talking about whatever. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. And there's going to be a day where we stand before God and guess what? Our opinions or our interpretation of Scripture, well, maybe he didn't mean that. Maybe that's allegorical. All of that is going to fall to the ground. It's not going to matter any longer. At the end of the day, what does God say? What did he mean when he spoke certain things? And so I, I saw a picture, and this was you know, kind of comical. It's not going to seem funny right now. But there was a person that was drowning, and they're lifting up their hand out of the water, just, you know, reaching for help. And uh, here comes some inspirational speaker. Give them a high five. And it's a picture of many modern-day preachers. People are drowning. People, give me some hope. Give me, give me salvation. What can I do to, 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 to survive in this life? And, uh, you can be a winner, buddy. You know, you're, you're wonderful just the way you are. No, you don't need to get rid of that sin. You can just, just be who you are. 
Let me give you some steps to success. You want to know what steps to success are? Am I getting too intense for you? Step number one, repent of your sin. Most of the frustration you have in life, most of the reasons that your life is failing, that you're struggling, has to do with sin. You say, God, now, now I, I'm not trying to be a, a judgmental preacher here, okay? I got a lot of sin that the Lord de- has dealt with me and is still dealing with me in. I'll be honest with you. I've still got things that the Lord will speak to me and, hey, why are you talking to your wife that way? Repent. This is him talking to me. He talks to me like that. (laughs) Why? You know, you you talk about this pride, but you still got some of that on the inside of you. Humble yourself or I will judge you. You know, God talked to me. We need to deal with sin. So repent of your sin. The second thing, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know these are real deep points, huh? That's right. It's adoption. Be seated with Christ in his inheritance. You want to know how you're going to be successful in life? Tap into his success. Tap into his inheritance. Man, you're not a winner on your own. No, you're, you're wretched. Hallelujah. Here's my encouraging word for the day. You're miserable. You're a hell-bound heathen. That's what you are outside of Jesus. But when we come into Christ, guess what? Old things pass away and all things become new. You're no longer a sinner, but you become a saint of the Most High God. You become a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Now you have an inheritance. Now you have a high and a holy calling. Now God is going to work in you. His will, he's going to accomplish it. It's no longer you trying to fight, oh, well, I'm going to make my life something wonderful. You're going to fail. But if you connect with Jesus Christ, guess what? He's going to take your life to places you never could. It's wonderful. So um, I gave you two steps to success. Hallelujah. Hear the gospel, he says. You know what the gospel is? I kind of touched on it. Let me give you what the gospel is just in a, a few short statements. Man has fallen. We've sinned. We have fallen short of God's high and holy standard. God is good. He loves you, and he has a plan for your life. But God is also just, and there must be a punishment for sin. Jesus died. This is the gospel. Jesus died. Because there is a punishment for sin, the wrath of God, Jesus came, lived a sinless life, but he was willing to take the wrath of God and the sin of all mankind upon himself, receiving in himself judgment that we rightfully deserve. And if you trust in Jesus wholly, you make him your Lord, guess what? He will take your sin from your life. He applies it to Jesus Christ. And he takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he applies it to our life. So one day when we stand before God, he's going to look at us. And he's not going to see the broken, wretched sinner that I was talking about a moment ago. He's going to see the perfection, the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And he'll say to you, enter in, good and faithful servant. Oh, my goodness. That's the gospel. 
That's the gospel. Now, the question is, he, he says here, I mean, again, we're talking about how to step into inheritance, how to be seated with Christ. He says that you hear the gospel and you trust the gospel. And that's a lot more than just saying, oh, yeah, I, I signed my name on the statement of faith. Oh, yes, I, I acknowledge that that is a true statement. How many understand? You can wear a parachute. And you can have that parachute on. You can be in the plane, however high they go. And you can say, I believe that parachutes work. I trust that parachutes work. You can, you can phrase it however you want to. I'm wearing my parachute. But it's a very different deal when you jump out of the plane. That's trust. When you jump out of the plane and it's time to pull that, 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 that cord and, uh, and, the, and that comes, now we're going to see if you really trust in the Lord. There's a lot of people, well, I wear my Christian badge. Oh, I got my tie and my suit, and I'm, I'm okay with that stuff. You know, I, you know, I, I, got, I got baptized. You know, they've, they've done certain things. And uh, have you jumped out of the plane? Do you trust wholly in the Lord? Do you go to him? Is he the Lord of your life? Do you trust him with every decision that you make? Who are you going to marry? How are you going to raise your children? What kind of job are you going to pursue? What, what kind of church are you going to get planted in? That's what it is to wholly trust in the Lord. And I know I'm talking to a room of born-again believers I apologize if I'm coming off. I feel like I'm coming off intense. Let me give you an encouraging one. It's the last one, okay? Which, by the way, nobody feels good talking about sin. But when you get your sin washed away, oh, how glorious. Oh, how wonderful. I never want to come just, you know, beating you guys down. You need to repent of your sin and, uh, you know, and, oh, boy, pastor, that's real heavy. No, if you respond as the conviction of the Lord comes and we say, yes, yes, God, I have failed. I was reading that story in, in the book of Luke and it was very interesting. I, you might remember Jesus was on a boat with the disciples and uh, they, they haven't caught any fish. He tells Peter, throw the net on the other side. He throws the net down on the other side and... They bring in this miracle catch of fish, bring the thing into the boat, and something very interesting happens. Peter hits his knees, and he says, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinner. Now, what in the world is going on there? Jesus never said one word about sin. Jesus never said anything about how, you know, you're lower than me, you know, you're not holy like, no, he didn't say anything like that. But there was a manifestation of the glory of God. And in light of that, Peter recognized, I am not where I should be. And his response was, depart from me. Now, you know what's amazing about that? I want you to hear me because some of you feel like that. When the presence of God begins to move, maybe it's in worship and immediately you feel the conviction of your sin. I want to help you. You may feel like Peter and God, I, I'm not good enough for this. God, I, I can't be in your presence and you feel like you need to leave or I, I don't know if I'm, I, I can't be around this. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't leave Peter. Jesus doesn't push him away. No, in fact, that was the very beginning of a beautiful relationship and discipleship. He drew Peter close to him. He says, no, I, I, I'm not going to make you depart, and I'm not going to leave you. No, you're coming with me. 
and I'm going to raise you up. You're going to be like a son to me. I'm going to use you as a pillar within my church. I'm going to I'm going to raise you up and you're going to strengthen other people and you're going to lead other people to me. Jesus had a plan and a purpose for Peter. And I'm just telling you if you've ever felt like, boy, I'm I'm too unclean, I'm too sinful, I'm too I'm too whatever, I'm not good enough to come into the presence of God. You may feel like that. And your response, it should be the same as Peter, God, I I acknowledge my sin before a holy God. But when we do that, the Lord doesn't reject you. He doesn't push you away. He says, I want you to come. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to use you. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to impact other people. You're going to be used for my glory. Oh, that's what I desire. Now, let me, let me give you the very last one, and, uh, and then we're done. So we need to hear, and we need to receive the gospel. And here's, here's a beautiful one. We receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we receive the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And let me just show you the verse. It's in verse 13 here, Ephesians chapter 1. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I know those are big words, but don't let it freak you out. It's a lot of big words, but... uh. But to put it simply, this is, this is what it means. How do I know that I'm saved? Well, for example, right now, my daughter is in the process of getting braces. I think we'll do Invisalign. Hallelujah. Anybody ever been through that? Pray for us, okay? I'm not excited about this. And the reason is, is because it's thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to get her teeth straight. And what they want from me on her first appointment is... A deposit. They want me to put a down payment. Why? It is a guarantee between me and them. You're going to do this work, and I'm going to be good for the money to pay you. I'm going to pay my bills. And it's a, it's a guarantee. It's an act. It's a gesture of trust between them and us. Now, another example, and I don't, you know, you think about the lottery. I don't play the lottery. I don't encourage you. That's a horrible investment. But if you had a lottery ticket and you've got those numbers that are coming up and, you know, they got the whatever, the numbers that are coming up and uh, you see them uh, on, on TV and you realize, I have the winning lottery ticket. Now, you have the guarantee because you have the ticket, right? You know, I won. But there is a moment where you have to redeem that ticket. What? That means you're going to cash it in. You actually have to go. I don't even know how you do that, but you go and you cash in that thing and all of a sudden now you're, you're getting the money. All right. Don't buy lottery tickets. Hallelujah. It's a great way to lose money. But, uh, but here you understand it's the very same picture. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You and I have the hope of heaven for all eternity. How do I know that? He gave us a deposit. That deposit is the Holy Spirit. He gave us the deposit. It is a seal, he said, of the, of the purchased possession. We are the purchased possession, by the way. And there is a time where Jesus is going to come and cash in that lottery ticket. Hey, I'm coming back. I'm bringing you home. And we'll step into the fullness of what he purchased. But there's benefits today because we have the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to close with this. Minister Ryland, would you come? I'm, I'm really done now. I want to 
I want to just tell you, what does that actually look like? Because there's some very smart theologians, and they really present this two different ways. And uh, I don't have a strong opinion about which one it is. So what is the seal of the Holy Spirit? Does that mean to be baptized with the Spirit? You know, I have the evidence of speaking in tongues. I can prophesy and I can operate in the gifts. Or uh, is, that, is that what happens upon all of us the moment that we believe that we receive the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit now dwells in us and we have a sense of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we have that teacher, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, I don't care if you're from a Baptist background. I'm telling you, even from as a Baptist boy, I felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost. I knew when I was doing things that would grieve the heart of God. I, Holy Spirit was with me. And this is why I don't believe you got to pray in tongues to go to heaven or any of that. That's helpful. We believe in the gifts. We pray for the gifts. I mean, every Sunday night, that's more or less what it's about. We're just we're going after the gifts and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Tuesday nights is our prophetic night. We're, we're equipping, we're releasing people for problems. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not putting it down at all. But I don't want you to ever think that, well, because our, our brother's up at the street and they don't, they don't believe in tongues that, uh, well, they're not Christian. No, I don't believe that. Do they love the Lord? Are they sensitive to the Spirit? To the best of their knowledge? We're going, we're going to worship with them in heaven. We will. The question is, and here's, here's what I want to challenge you in. There's numerous places throughout Scripture. Peter is one of them. Paul encourages us to check yourself or test yourself to see if you're in the faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible talks about how a good father will discipline their children. And he uses this as a a personal example for us. When the Lord comes to correct us, it doesn't mean that he's beating us up. No, it's actually a gesture that he loves us. Because he says a loving father will discipline their children. If he doesn't discipline you, that means he doesn't love you or you're not one of his children. One of the scariest things that can ever happen is you become numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what it means to test ourselves, to check ourselves. Are we in the faith? You should be able to go to any born-again believer and say, What's God been dealing with you about? God's teaching me how to be patient. God's teaching me how to be kind to my children. God's breaking the unbelief off of my life. He's teaching me how to trust him with my finances. All of us should be able to say, there's things that God is dealing with me. Conviction of the Spirit. But if you're ever in a place where you say, Boy, I don't even know. I don't remember the last time I felt conviction. I don't even remember the last time God dealt with me. I don't remember the... That's a frightening place to be in, friend. And what I want to do is today, we're going to pray because this is, this is how we step into inheritance. You want to know how you can void your inheritance? Learn to ignore the Holy Spirit. Ignore the Holy Spirit. Ignore His conviction. All of a sudden, you're going to find you're not seated with Christ. It's a frightening place to be in. But God is gracious. And I've had moments, I tell you, it's been, it's been very frightening where I notice, man, God, you're not speaking to me the way that you used to. And I, and I seek the Lord and I say, God, is there anything that's separating me and you? Is there anything that I'm doing, any mindset that I have that's grieving your heart? And 
God is faithful. He'll speak to you. Hey, this right here. Let's deal with this. And he'll begin to work those things out of you. And all of a sudden, now you, you come back into this glorious place. I tell you, conviction to me is one of the most precious gifts that I've ever received from the Lord. Why? Because it shows that I'm a son. And he's a loving father who doesn't want me going down some path that's going to destroy me or derail me or void my call. No, he loves me enough to say, hey, don't do that. You'll feel that conviction. You'll know godly conviction because it always provides a solution. Bring your sin to me. Hey, that wound, that area, that, that, that failure, just give it to me. You say, okay, Lord, here it is. All of a sudden, he begins to work in your life and the precious blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness and that, that, that precious Holy Spirit can once again abide on us and in us and with us. Would you stand all across this room right now? Did you know the most repeated promise in Scripture through the Old Testament? It's found in Joel chapter 2, but it's all the way in Genesis, and you'll even see it in Revelation, that God is patient, He's merciful, He's slow to anger, He's of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Goes into this mode of repentance, and then in, in Joel in particular, it says, who knows if God will not remove judgment and leave a blessing. And that's the invitation from the heart of God. Some of you, I, I know I've talked a lot about sin today. And, and I'll just, can I be honest with you guys? I, I make a commitment to you as a pastor. I will always preach truth. I will. Now, I'm not going to sin bash every week or anything like that. But there's always going to be an opportunity. Some of you might wonder, if I bring my lost loved one to church, are they even going to have an opportunity to get saved? They will always have that opportunity in our church. I make you, that's a commitment. They can come on a Sunday night. They can come to a prayer meeting. They come to our prayer. They're always going to have a moment. Let's make sure our hearts are right with God. It's very important. With every head bowed and everyone praying right now, there's some within the sound of my voice, even as I'm sharing, you feel the conviction of the Lord upon your life. You know that God is speaking to you about an area that you need to get right, that you need to yield to Him. I believe that if you give that to the Lord, He's going to take that sin, He's going to take that compromise, He's going to take that wound, He's going to take that hurt. He's going to restore, He's going to heal, He's going to forgive. There's others that are in this place. And you say, Pastor, I don't feel a thing. I know that I'm not right, but I don't feel the conviction of the Spirit. I don't feel the correction of the Lord. And you might even question, am I a son? Am I a daughter? Am I even saved? We're going to pray today that God would give each and every one of us a renewed sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. 
that he would again birth in us the conviction of the Holy Spirit, a sensitivity to the Spirit of God, that when we're doing things that grieve his heart, he'll be quick to speak to us, quick to correct us, and we will be quick to obey him. And so if you're here, every head bowed, nobody looking around, I want to know. You say, I fit into that first category. I've got things in my life the Lord is convicting me of. And I want to deal with it today. I want the Lord to cleanse me. I want him to heal me. I want him to make me new. If that be you, lift your hand just all across this room. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many, so many, so many, so many. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. If you say, Pastor, I I, I want an increased sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I, I want to know when he's convicting me. I want to know when he's speaking to me. I want to know if I do things that grieve the heart of God. I want to know when I'm pleasing him. If that be you, I want a fresh sense of the Holy Spirit, a renewed sense of the Holy Spirit. If that be you, would you lift your hand all across this room? Yeah, yeah. Hey, my hand's up on this one too. My hand's up. Hallelujah. Come on, all across this room, would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now, everybody, all across this room. Lord, I just thank you that even right now, I pray first and foremost, let your Holy Spirit come. And Lord, give us a renewed sensitivity to the Spirit of God. God, I ask that that you would come and that you would fill our lives and that you would, Lord, that that those who have grown numb or cold uh, to to the conviction of the Holy Spirit or the correction of the Lord, God, I'm asking today that you would renew our sensitivity, that you would open our hearts once again to the correction that a loving father brings to a son or daughter. God, open our hearts. Let us let us hear you once again. God, our hearts maybe have grown cold or hard. Maybe it's a maybe it's a wound or it's been repeated disobedience. Uh, but God, somehow our heart has become cold and, and isolated and we don't hear. And God, I'm asking that today you would break through that in the name of Jesus, that you would pierce our heart, that you would penetrate our mind, that you would open us once again to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Let us sense when you say, go here or don't go there. Repent now. Pray. Lead. Go. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us with such clarity. Let us have an awareness of how your Spirit is speaking and dealing with each and every one of us, God, that we may never grieve you, that we may never, Lord, do anything that is outside of your will or your desire for our life. Come on, I want you to pray. I'm going to lead us in a, in a declaration of faith and repentance, and I want everybody to pray this right out loud with me now. Pray, dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I have sinned. I've fallen short of your holy standard. I ask you, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me by your precious blood. I believe you came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. You died a sinner's death, a death that I deserved. You took it on yourself. And you gave me your righteousness. I receive today your grace, your forgiveness, a new life, a fresh start. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my very best friend. Come live your life through me. In your precious name I pray. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give him praise right now.